All right, hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Coops. I'm your host. And today I'm bringing you an interview with the, um, the very talented uh, Matt Buckman. Uh, welcome, Matt. Thank you for being here on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Um, so you write as M.L. Buckman, and you have a tremendous amount of books. You've got well over 50 novels out. Um, but you have a, we were just talking before we went live about the fact that you have somewhat distilled what you do down to a, a single line of branding. And I, I love it. It's, um, <laughs> it, it is as a strong women in the, in the strong men strong women and the men they deserve. Yes. And which I think is fantastic. So can you, can you, uh, maybe unpack that a little bit for us about what it is that you write and, and why this is the, the tagline that suits your book so well? Well, it's been an evolution. I've been writing for 25 years, and um, I got into romance about eight years ago because I accidentally, in a weird way, sold a thriller to a romance house, okay. and they bought it, bought the series, and they said, can you make this more of a romance? And I was like, okay. You know, I, we talked about it. I knew how, I figured out how to do that, and ended up with this really fun book called The Night is Mine, the opening of my Night Stalker series which was about my eighth or ninth book. Okay. And what I realized when I looked back through my books was what were the common themes? What tied them together? And the first thing was champion the human spirit. I always, I focus on the positive. I don't mm -hmm. write horror. I don't, you know, I like that positive. Mm -hmm. But then it started to grow. It's like, no, there's more to it. There's, I always have the strong woman front and center. I have written an total of one book out of 50, 60 now, 60, yeah, 60, um, has a male at the front. Okay. All the rest have these amazing women at the front. My science fiction does, my thrillers do, and of course my romances. Now the romances, of course, I think the woman's at the front, and my readers, who are mostly female, think the man's at the front, mm -hmm. which means I'm making a good balance. Yeah, absolutely. But that that wasn't the whole message, and I finally realized that it wasn't just strong women fighting against impossible odds. It's strong women, and who did, who is somebody that good? Who do they get to be with? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, my core story, hmm. is having that connection to the strength that women have, and that emotion has, and the, the, the importance of those elements. Hmm. Um, and I'm a hopeless romantic, so it played right into my strengths there. I was raised on Broadway shows and musicals, so yeah, absolutely. So you had had um, <clears throat> some experience with, with some of these elements already, but I, I'm sure there had to be a question mark in your mind when you were writing thrillers, and all of a sudden you had to make this leap from that to writing romance because. Romance is, of course, typically a sort of female-dominated authorship. Like, the, the majority of authors writing romance are women. So what sort of question marks did you have in your mind when jumping into this, and how did you kind of overcome those? Um, it's a really funny thing, because the first, the first writers' conference I ever went to of any kind was Romance Writers of America National Conference. Mm-hmm. 1,800 women who are serious about the business of writing romance, and seven guys. Wow. And that was only because my publisher decided she wanted to prove a point, so she brought four male authors. I wasn't writing romance yet, but she wanted to prove that men wrote romance. Mm 
Yeah. Um, but I, I had this strong woman down the middle of the book, so she said, you're coming to RWA with me. Um, and I went back to RWA two years ago and three years ago, and the ratio isn't all that different. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, 2,000 women and 10 guys now. Okay. And the, but the thing I found was, there, there are like so many pieces of this. If I talk to another guy about writing romance, they just, their eyes go blank. They just look at me. You're one of the few who hasn't just looked at me and gone, what? Forget mm. about it. Um, but to tell those stories, those intimate stories of, and what it reveals, you know, we always talk about the right relationship is when we're our best self. Mm-hmm. So it, for me, it's also a journey of writing about become our best selves. Yeah. So starting to write a romance, it's like that once I sort of sold this series, it was like, oh, that actually makes sense to me in a very visceral way. I could go in and start deconstructing that and work with that. Yeah. And I think that ties so, in well with your tagline because, of course, like you're saying, like the purpose of most fiction, any hero's journey story even, is this evolution of who you were at the beginning to who you are at the end. But by mixing in this other romantic element, you're like, not only who are you at the end, but who has this your partner become and, and, and who do you deserve to be with, et cetera, in your case, um, like the way you're phrasing it, like the better, the best version of yourself, who do they end up with, you know, versus the flawed version yeah. of yourself, which I think is an interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually heading back into thrillers here fairly soon into pure thrillers, but it's going to be a woman at the front. Mm-hmm. And it won't have that heavy romance love story up the middle, but it's certainly going to be studying how we become our best selves, which I don't look at my tagline currently as being the definitive end. Mm-hmm. I see it as part of an evolution that describes me really well to date. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking to see what that next step is. In terms of your your readership and your relationships with your readers and like how you sort of express yourself, you know, as a, as an author. I mean, obviously you have, you have ML uh, Buckman as your, as your, your title name. So you, it's not necessarily um, out that there that you're a male or a female author, but you, I can kind of tell just looking at your, your blurbs, for example, they're, um, you know, suspenseful for sure. Like you've got this sort of action elements built in there. So you kind of get the impression even mm-hmm. from your copywriting that this is a man's take on uh, romance, so it's not like you're you're obscuring the fact or anything. Um, what's some of the feedback been from your readers of saying, okay, here's a here's this male author writing strong female heroines? Like, what's what's that response been like? It's changed a lot over the last seven years. Hmm. Seven years ago, it, my bio was very carefully neutral. You actually had to go over to my website, drill into the about and scan down through to find a picture that finally, oh, it's a male writer. Mm-hmm. Now it's, I put it out in the open fairly prominently as ML Matt Buckman, you know, with Matt in quotes. Yeah. Um, seven years ago, I would probably twice a week get fan mail saying, I never would have picked up this book if I'd known it had been written by a man. I'm so glad I did. Interesting. And now, and now if I get one of those every other month, it's a surprise. Yeah. Um, so that's been a huge shift in the industry over the last seven years, is the acceptance that, oh, maybe a guy can write romance. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some... It's, what, it's just interesting. 
Yeah. What are some of your tips? So for for other male authors out there who are maybe uh, toying with the idea of writing romance, what are some of the things that you have learned besides just you know the marketing tactics, but like in the way of of writing these stories? What are some tips you have for getting that reaction and uh, things you've learned through this process that you maybe would give to other male authors starting out? The number one thing is read a romance, Mm -hmm. read a bunch of them, Mm -hmm. because that's how I started was I was at this 1996 RWA National Conference, and they're giving away books. They're giving away stacks of books. Mm -hmm. And so I sat there. I didn't sleep at the conference. I read three books a night. And so by the end of the conference, I'd probably read a dozen romances. And it's like you start to go, oh, there's this really cool story in here. There's this love story in here. And I was reading everything, contemporary, historical, military wasn't really, you know, Suzanne Brockman was about the only one writing it back then. Mm-hmm. She created the genre of military romantic suspense, personally. Yeah. It's just so cool. Yeah. Um, and, and she's a great lady. I've finally gotten to know her. But she created the genre I write most of my stories in. But I also write straight contemporary, where it's a small town and... It, people have described contemporary romance as a uh, a love story in which nothing happens huh. because it's just you know it's about the romance it's yeah. kind of the purest form of it it's yeah. about the love story and not much else yeah. and that's the key to romance it's got to be about the love story and about the growth of the characters if you layer in something like military romantic suspense the way I Describe it as they have to be layered together so much that if you peel one out or peel the other out, the whole story collapses. Mm-hmm. So it it isn't, I don't write a romance that's in a military setting. I write a romance in which the military is an integral piece of why the act characters act that way. Mm-hmm. And the pressures that come up on them are come from the military side. Yeah, And it's only by the romance of them pulling together that they can succeed in the military scenario. So for me, it's a very intertwining thing, but you've got to start with the love story, and that's what people miss. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm paid to sit and write about women. I'm paid <laughs> to sit here and think about beautiful women. I'm, you know, I write sex scenes. It's like, this is a winner. I'm sorry, <laughs> guy, this is just a winner. And people yeah. don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you want to be invested in that world? And, and who, who doesn't, you know, love a good love story? Honestly, like we all, we all have that, you know, basic desire to have that kind of a relationship the other that, you know, other people envy. And that's what you write. Like you, you write the, this, the love stories that, that we all wish we could live through. So, mm-hmm. um, I see Chrissy's watching. I see Kay is watching and, uh, Corey and Kevin. So hi to everyone who is watching. Um, if you have any questions for Matt, feel free to uh, ask them, and I'll do my best to relay them for you. And if you want to learn more about his his series, um, he has many books out, of course. But um, for those who are readers, um, I know some of these pr- pr- these people pretty well. I know especially Kay. I, there's a lot of voracious readers in this audience. Can you tell them a little bit about? Um, I've got your Target of One's Own, your new release up. Can you tell us a little bit about your this particular series? I know this is book four of this series. Sorry, I lost the question in there. I'm somewhere. sorry. That, I was that's that's my rambling interviewing style that, that needs work. But can you tell us about this particular book, uh, Target of One's Own, and this series oh. that you're writing? Okay. Yeah. Um, 
that book that I, I mentioned earlier that was the thriller that got bought as a romance, mm -hmm. and so I redrafted it as a romance, they ended up buying the first seven books in that series and the first four books in a spin-off series and two books in another spin-off series. And so this series has actually become a world of a lot of separate series. Mm. So, and let me tell you, if you want true psychosis, try writing 11 series simultaneously. Oh, gosh. Came in Don't. <laughs> some were short story series, some were contemporary spin-offs, some were firefighting spin-offs. Um, and Target of One's Own, which actually came out, there it is, came out in January, so I just happened to have a copy that's passing through the house, yeah. um, was the logical ending story of my one of those offshoot branches, okay. which is the Night Stalkers 5e. And the, to wind back, the way this whole series came about, this whole world came about, was I was writing a thriller, and I needed a cool secret helicopter. So I went out, and I did my research, and I found my cool helicopter, and it went out and re rescued the hero. But um, while I was in there, I discovered the Night Stalkers, which are the U.S. Military Special Operations Aviation Regiment. They're called SOAR. Hmm. And they're the ones who flew into Bin Laden's compound, into Grenada, into Panama City, into every place in Iraq and Afghanistan and a whole bunch of others. And it was, I'm a guy. I had to go and look at the application. Would I have qualified back in the day? No. <laughs> not even close. These guys are amazing. Yeah. But as I started researching them, I got intrigued, and I started writing about the, them because... The second line on the application was, no women may apply. Mm. And it was, there was my idea. I'd been looking for a cool idea. Yeah. And so my Emily Beale in book one is the, the woman who's so good they can't keep her out. That's a great idea. And that launched the whole thing. Yeah, that launched the whole thing. And she sort of became the mother of the series. She became the over series and, um, you know, I'm good. She would onboard people in and give them their own series to spin off to. Yeah. Uh, and one of those spin-offs was called the 5E, which is the 5th Company, 5th Battalion E Company, because my first group was the 5th Battalion D Company. Okay. And I, I kind of married off everybody in the 5th Battalion D. <laughs> okay. So I came up with the 5E to get a new cast, and yeah. I did a crossover thing and launched them out. There you go. The funny thing about this one was I was looking for a really cool setting, wanted to do something fun, and I happened to have been in Dakar, Senegal, not all that long ago, visiting some people, and the Dakar race, which I've always sort of been intrigued by, used to run to there. It was a car race from Paris all the way down to Dakar. Two wow. weeks, crazy race. It's now in South America. Suddenly I had where the Dakar rally used to be, where the Dakar rally is going to be, and I pulled my people out of the helicopters and I put them in race cars. Yeah. Because they were chasing somebody who had escaped them. And so it became this whole funny thing that it's actually about the race cars, but it's still my military helicopter people. Yeah. And I just, I had so much fun writing it. And yeah. that's how I got to that crazy story. And I was reading the blurb for this, and I'm like, man, this sounds amazing. This is the story that I would want to read. 
Um, even though I don't typically think of myself as a romantic suspense reader, this is something that was like, I'm like, wow, this is like a, a road race across, you know, this is the desert or wherever this is going. Like, I want to see how this ends. Like, how do you chase a fugitive and fall in love at the same time while involved in a road race? That's just, it just sounds like a blast. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. And I think that's it what was, and it was so much fun to write, which is of course the key. Yeah. I always look for what's the most fun to write yeah. and that's where I go. Well, it sounds, it sounds like a fantastic series. And um, do you have more planned in this particular series? Um, the 5E, I'm pretty sure this is the last book. Okay. But I thought the prior one was the last book, and the characters told me it wasn't. So we'll see. <laughs> well, I know there are some readers out there who won't even start a series until they're like, well, is it done yet? Can I just blast through all of them and be happy at the end? And then there's some people who want you to yeah. continue forever. So you can't necessarily make everyone happy. Either way. Actually, the 11 series that have spun off from this, yeah. I've actually, I think, closed all except one of them. Two of them. Two. Wow. Yeah. I think I finally have closed nine of those series. Um, is, and you'll start seeing complete coming out over the next year. I'm going to be posting out and doing audio and repackaging and doing, here's the complete set. Yeah. Okay. Um, we had a question from... From Kay. And Kay asks, writing so many no romance novels, how do you keep the romance scenes fresh? I realize the settings and storyline is different, but how do you keep the romances so different they don't get stale? Ooh, that's a fun challenge. Um, and it actually goes into a craft book I'm working on writing right now, which is creating unique characters. Because if I can create a character that's unique enough, then their love story is going to end up being unique. Mm. They'll have different parental issues, different family issues, different career issues. They'll have a different set of dreams. And then I put them together, sometimes with a character who's very similar, but sometimes with one who's completely different. And so they're going to have to find a common ground that you'd never expect them to be able to get to. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's a past love. And but they've been pushed apart for a decade and now they're coming back together. Uh, it's, it, you can tinker with each of those elements, but it all goes back to character. It always goes back to character, especially in romance. But mm. I think in any good book, it gets yeah. driven back to that character. And we look at what can we do to make them distinct so their story is distinct, so their romance is distinct. I see it as a set of tears. Yeah. Now it's a great way to look at it, and, and guess, of course, character motivation is everything. And then, anytime you have people with different motivations, you're going to have different conflicts. And yeah, I think that's a that's yeah. A and what I'm answer. and what I'm trying to look at in this book is going down to what's under that motivation. Because we say, okay, let's start with character motivation. No, no, no. By the time I know the character's motivation, I've written half the book because I don't know what it is. Off a lot of the time. Yeah, but what can we do to to make that character unique so that their motivation is unique, so that their response is distinct from what you'd expect it to be? And the reason their response is over here is, oh, because they're that kind of person. They perceive the world visually, or they're a per driver or promoter, or all these different tools that are out there. Yeah, 
That's then, sure. That's one I can talk on on a long. Time. Oh, I'm sure. No, and I can I can get into craft stuff for, for hours too. I think that would be fascinating. Maybe maybe we'll have you when you do launch this book on character. Uh, maybe we can have you back on and talk about it because it sounds like a fascinating topic for sure. That'd be cool. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't get into some of the author business stuff you have going on. So if you don't mind, I'd love to kind of open the hood on your your author side of things for a little bit and look look at how you've got things going because you're doing you're doing some really interesting things in terms of the way you sell. Um, I was looking at your your website earlier and you do a lot of direct sales, for example. You've also even got some interesting things going on with direct audio. Um, can you talk a little bit about about that and how? you've gone to sort of a direct sales model and how that's working out for you? I'm about a third of the way into developing my direct sales platform. Um, And I need to pull back and and look at the industry as to why I'm doing it, Mm. which is, you know, it used to be you had to go through traditional press, through New York, and work your way through that pipeline, and that was sort of the only channel other than vanity. Mm-hmm. Then we had the Kindle Christmas of 2011, where suddenly Kindles were under every Christmas tree, and we now had access to the readers, except we don't. The people with the access to the readers are Amazon, Kobo, draft to digital Barnes & Noble, iTunes, sorry, books, Apple Books. Yeah. Um, they who have the direct access to the reader. And right now, if Amazon decides to close up their bookstore, I'm screwed. Right. <laughs> um, you know, over half my business is belongs to Amazon. And so I've been trying to spread out and trying to have my eggs everywhere. But if I can start building direct relationships with readers, and that's really one of my big 2019 goals on the publishing side, Mm. is I want to be able to get to them and be able to reach them. So, for example, um, you can buy audio direct off my site through an agreement I've got going with Findaway Voices. The cheapest place you can buy it is off my site, and I make the most money if you buy it off my site. It's this great handshake rather than going out through two or three tiers of vendors out there. Mm Mm-hmm. I also write a short story every month at least that I put up for free for a week on my website. But you can subscribe to my short stories now. Just as of last month, I turned this on. Interesting. And I I actually write about 20 to 25 short stories a year. So you can now subscribe and receive all the stories cheaper and earlier. So, again, I'm trying to give the reader a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my novels, you can receive cheaper and earlier. The advantage is, one, they get every book I write. Mm-hmm. Two, they get it cheaper. Three, they get it earlier. Four, I make the same amount of money. And five, I sell them every novel I write. Mm-hmm. So these are for the super fans. I've got subscriptions going over here. Yeah. And then I'm looking to put up direct sales where... I can come in and buy a series, and I can buy a series in ebook or in print, and it will just show up. Yeah. And my goal is to do that by end of year. Yeah. The problem is, as you probably saw on my website, is making it coherent when you've got so many ridiculous number of series. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you have you have an amazing amount of books. Like you're where I would love to be in you know in ten years or something. Like that I would, you've got 
am just blown away by the amount of content you have in your catalog, which is fantastic. Kay, Kay asks, uh, do you ever sleep? <laughs> so, um, what's your way of balancing <laughs> all of this? Um, for the last five years, six years, the answer is pretty much no. Uh, <laughs> I really didn't. And it was because I was trying to launch this career, and I knew it depended on creating a lot of IP, a lot of intellectual property. So I just wrote like a demon. That was always my criteria. Um, we recently left the West Coast, moved to the East Coast, and part of that move was to give me back quality of life. Mm. Was I stop at 5.30 now, unless I'm, I'm right at the end of a book and I can't help myself. Uh, I go for at least an hour of exercise every day. I sit and have dinner with my wife, and um, so it's becoming a much more rational lifestyle. I'm not there yet, mm. but I'm going from 70-hour weeks to 50-hour weeks, right? and it's quite a shock. It's quite yeah. a shock. Uh, but, but, yeah, I got here by not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there is that sort of fear that that's in the, your your core when you make this leap i'm sure to being i've, I've talked to many you know full-time writers who are who ha have recounted this at least and saying that you know you work extra hard when you're working for yourself and I, i'm uh, self-employed myself so i know that i work way harder for myself than i ever have for anyone else um so the challenge becomes how to dial it back and how to find that balance again when did you start to feel comfortable with your business, what was it? What are some of the things that happened along the way that made you feel comfortable? Said, Maybe I can dial it back. Or were you forced to? Um, rationality said I was forced to. <laughs> because there's this theory today that I've got to release every four weeks. I've got to release every two weeks. I've got mm -hmm. to, you yeah. know, I have to do a novel a week. I have to, and you get on this wheel and it's a wheel to burnout. It doesn't lead anywhere else. You mean you haven't published a book while we were talking? Because that's no, not. <laughs> it's weird and it's wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Getting used to that concept of what if I? And it's not that I rush writing a book, but what if I take the time and space to make better use? of myself mm -hmm. and make better use of that idea. Um, one of my rules, and I'm, I'm really serious about this, one of my rules is I never rush a story. Mm. If it wants to slow down and give me 300 words for a six-hour session, it gives me 300 words in a six-hour session, and it was mm -hmm. a good day yeah. because I got the 300. Um, but I was... I was going, okay, well, if I produce 670 words per hour, which is my average, great, let me work 60 hours and I'll get that many more words, and yeah. let me work 70, I'll get that many more words. And at some point, that's, that's a burnout cycle where you're not allowing the recharge to happen. You're not allowing new experience to come in. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm shifting what I'm writing. I'm not moving away from my military romantic suspense, but I'm dialing it down so that I can write in a new genre 
and, and let that genre build and see what new ideas and fresh writing that sparks. Yeah. So, but that's a really scary thing. So I'm not comfortable with this. It's a really terrifying jump to go, okay, I have this nice, successful career that I know how to feed, mm-hmm. but I want to do more. I want to be better. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a mid-list writer. I, I've made my list full time for six years, but I'm a mid-list writer. I've never hit the New York Times. I've never broken out. I've never had, you know, a hundred thousand dollar month. I've never, you know, none of that. Yeah. Um, I make a very nice living being steady. Yeah. And I'm, I'm good with that. I, yep, notched, but I'm good with that. But I want to keep adding and seeing what else I can do and what else I have Mm -hmm. to bring. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a good goal for other authors to try to get to too. Is just this just the slow, steady, nice living is a great living, and it's um, oh yeah, it's just one book at a time. Or you're not counting on something breaking out and becoming a bestseller, or you're not relying on this lightning strike, you know, to happen. You can do what you do and just produce, and um, that's a yeah. that's a great fundamental for people to to. Emulate. So, like I said, you're you're my goal right now. One of the things I'm very impressed with, Matt, is that that your particular uh, settings have have changed so much. You've got military, you've got firefighters, you've got um, you know people in all these different professions. Small town, Oregon. Yeah, and <laughs> do, do you did you have a military background yourself? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, that one came about for a really weird reason. Was one of my first books took it to my critique group and I had a military male. It was a science fiction book and he's the general of the troops. And, uh, the guys on the critique group laughed him out of the room. Hmm. And so I, I started trying to write stronger and stronger men. And I started, and by the time I finally released the book, they said, well, at least he's male now. <laughs> it's like, Oh dear. <laughs> I watched too many Broadway musicals as a kid. <laughs> so um, what I did was I went out and I started reading. I figured, okay, let me find the most male voices I can find and start reading them. Yeah. So I started reading SEAL memoir and Ranger memoir and these you know, really elite military forces. These are the guys' guys, right? Mm-hmm. And as I read them, what happened was I ended up growing a great deal of respect for them. The mm-hmm. choice that the those elite career soldiers, not the one or two tour guys who are impressive in their own way, but the, these are people who chose 20, 30-year careers mm-hmm. in you know insane environments. And I became so impressed by what they were doing that I felt I kind of had to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And the more... I still read memoir today. I'm reading Relentless Strike right now uh, because trying to understand that mindset that's so different from my own has actually been part of what sparked a lot of these characters. Hmm. It's a very new place in here for me as a man that I wasn't really aware of. Hmm. And so I've learned that through my writing. That's how the military came into it, was because I was reading all this great memoir, and I started trying to capture yeah. that emotion that these guys bring. I think that's an excellent tip, because it's one of those things as writers that we you know, can't live all the lives. 
you know, we can't have all of the personal experience. Many people do, of course, write from personal experience or from friends' experiences. But because we can't know everyone, can't be everything and be all things, we have to, you know, reach out in memoir. It seems like it would be a fascinating way to learn uh, direct from these people's experiences and then translate that into character. I think that's that's a fascinating tip. I think that's uh, really interesting. Yeah. Did you do the same thing with the firefighters and things so, like that? Yeah. Um, the the thing was stepping so far out of my knowledge zone. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm known for is getting it right. So I have a Delta Force fan. I have uh, a Night Stalker fan. I've got military fans, which is so cool. And they're yeah. saying, you got it close enough. Yeah. To achieve that, I run about an hour and a half to two hours of research per five hours of writing. So if you imagine a typical full day dedicated to writing, I've spent probably two hours of that, even today, mm-hmm. researching, okay, what's the difference between a rifle and a carbine? Mm-hmm. That was this morning's question. Okay. And what's the difference between and trying to get, even though it's just an adjective in my story, I want to have it right because I want to show my respect to the people who are doing this and to make that real world, try yeah. to bring that world to life. So the firefighters, I did the same thing, reading smoke jumper accounts and fire bomber accounts and interviewing people who had fought fires and mm-hmm. uh, trying to get it to get it right. So I'm very heavily research driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's fantastic. Over six years, I've spent thousands of hours in research. Yeah. Well, it obviously shows I me mean, because you have such a big readership. And um, do you have a beta team? Do you use a beta team? Um, my business is Buckman Bookworks. I mean, um, as far as like beta, beta readers, do you have like, uh, Oh, Oh, beta, beta. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I have this funny thing. I have poor hearing, so I can either have my hearing aids or my headphones. I can't have both. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, I have a beta reader. Okay. I have one. Okay. And the reason is she's my target audience. Hmm. If I can make her laugh, I can make her cry, I can touch her. They say you can't write for everybody, so write for one person. And I yeah. took that very literally. Yeah. I write to make one person smile. Yeah. And if I can make her smile, then that's great. Then it goes through a proofing and you know all the others, copy edit and proofing. But I, I depend on one beta reader. Well, she she's lucky that she's got you know Matt Buckman writing books just for her. So she's a, she's a lucky yeah. lucky lady. But um, that's fantastic. That's a, that's a really uh, interesting tip and interesting strategy. So um, see, Mark is watching. Um, yeah, if anyone, we're we're kind of getting to the end of our, our half hour here, so we're going to wrap up. But if anyone has more questions for Matt and wants to want to leave comments, um, we'll try to you know answer them in the comments later on, or if you're watching the replay later, feel free to, to uh, pop up a question. Uh, but Matt, for more people who want to reach out to you directly and find you on the web, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Anything that says ML Buckman, and that's B-U-C-H-M-A-N. Yeah. That's my Twitter, that's my Facebook, that's my website, mlbuckman.com. Uh, that's really the best place to go is there. One of the things that you and I talked about right before we started that I think 
we said we wanted to talk about, but I think it's because we already had, yeah. is uh, the fact that I do my own audio. Mm, that's right. Yeah, we didn't. And did you want to that. take? Do we have a moment? I to do. Yeah. Let's let's that? let's take a second about that because that is worth um, diving into. Okay. the The way I describe it is there's really two camps, which is you want to hear it read by author, mm-hmm. or you want to hear it read by a professional. Mm-hmm. And there were two or three factors that made me decide I wanted to do it myself. One was. Um, listening to Stephen King, there is a man who should never, ever read his own books. <laughs> but when you listen to Stephen, because he just reads it, yeah. he doesn't dramatize it, nothing. But when he reads it, this guy is the master of punctuation. He's the master of how you breathe. You can hear when he reads it, every comma, every period, every odd paragraph break. I will take Stephen King reading his books any day. The second time was uh, one of the books that I sold to traditional press. I had the right to review, not necessarily choose, but review which voice was used on my audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And so my publisher sent me three voices for comment, and they said, by the way, please choose this one. Because, of course, narrators have big followings. Yeah. And so I'm listening, I listen to one, I listen to two, I listen to the third one. And they're getting on their woman with a lovely voice. They're getting on their MH60 Black Hawk helicopter. And they're going to fly to... And it was like, no, no, I can't. She's the narrator for Suki Stackhouse. She had one of the biggest followings in the audio world at that time. And... I had to say, you can't choose her. You just yeah. can't. Um, yeah. So I read by author. I'm lousy at accents. I do a little bit of drama. I go to a high voice for a woman, a low voice for a guy, and put the narrator in the middle. I don't do a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. But it's my pacing. It's the way I hear that sentence in my head. Mm. And so as an audio listener... I'm creating the audio I want to hear. Yeah. Um, you can then, and the setup is very cheap. It's very easy to do. Um, I haven't, I put a couple of different blog posts up on it. If somebody wa- really wants to know what it is, they can ping me and I'll put up the post. Okay. But uh, the, I think my whole setup is $300 to do, have a little recording booth, a microphone, and I'm good. Yeah. The engineering, you can farm out the engineering. If you have audio produced, it's three to five hundred dollars per finished hour. If you farm out just the engineering, it's fifty to seventy five per hour. So it's a cheap way in. Um, we do it in house here. Hmm. But we've got it down, we have it running smoothly. Can you listen to this audio on a ten thousand dollar sound system and be happy? Probably not. Mm. But this is what people are listening to audio on. Yeah, they're listening to it on earbuds and in the car. And my audio is way higher quality than needed for that. Yeah. So it's a compromise and it's a choice. Um, but I've done over twenty books, and I have people now who are following me book to book. Yeah, and they're just buying all the audio. That's so fantastic, and I think it's that's, super. That's my short version. 
Yeah, and the combination of that plus your direct sales, like your deal with Findaway is really interesting because you're able to do things like give away audiobooks for free, which is something the rest of us, you know, who are just go, going through ACX can't do. Um, so yep. have you found that, that those sort of tactics have helped you build a strong audio presence? I've been able to do that only in the last two six weeks. Mm. So I haven't really had time to see the numbers come out the backside yet. Yeah. But uh yeah, my first book in my really popular Night Stalker's White House series, which is a series of military romantic suspense romances set in the White House. Yeah. Um there with the Night Stalkers flying in in the middle of it. Uh the first one is free off my website. And uh it's a six-book series, it's complete, it's all recorded. Yeah, I'm seeing traction. I'm, it's audio, because of what I've done in the last year, is now 4 or 5% of my income, but it's on a growth to be 10% by end of year. Wow. That's the same IP. That's the same stories. Mm-hmm. Re-leveraged, rewritten, mm-hmm. reproduced, rather. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking to never do another release that isn't simultaneous audio. Yeah, which is, that's the dream, too, there. That's really hard to do when you're not yeah. doing it yourself, when you're relying on other it people. It is, too. it is. I missed, I missed on this one. I haven't gotten to the audio on uh, Target of One Zone yet. It just, because of a move and some other things, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, Actually, blowing out my back is what really stopped that oof, one. Oof, <laughs> ouch, yeah. But yeah, I was, I, was, I was really impressed by the fact that you can also do Secret Service and all the other things. Is there, so is there anything that you can't write? Um, I haven't found it yet (laughs) (laughs) good answer I even wrote a horror short story for a class I'll never produce it I'll never put it out in the world the character is way too creepy he creeps me out which tells me it's probably a good character Uh, but it's not what I want to put out in the world but I love science fiction it's what I started in Um, I went into thrillers stumbled into romance mystery I don't know how to write a mystery. Hmm, I have to do a lot of work to learn to write a mystery, but I don't read mystery. Okay. So therefore, you know, it, it makes sense. Yeah, interesting. Kay asks if you do time travel romance. Not yet. Not yet. Um, right. Hold it. Hold it. No, I don't think I have yet. Um, I've done future. I've done science fiction romance. Okay. Yeah. But I don't. Yep. It's on the on the two right pile. There you go. Put that on the on the mama list yeah. for K. So, all right. I love time travel fiction, so that's that's a possibility. Yeah, if it's already <laughs> something you're reading, I'm sure it'll come out eventually. Huh? Um, yep. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and uh, knowledge today. It's it's really been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I look forward to to having you back on the show at some point, uh, maybe after another release, uh, it, would, it would be a, a pleasure to have you back on. I'll let you know when they happen. <laughs> All right. And um, thank you everyone who has uh, been watching the show. Um, if, or if you're enjoying the, the podcast, you feel free to leave us a review if you've enjoyed it. Um, thanks so much. And we'll see you all again next episode. So long. Bye.